0: Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where each week we talk to you, our dear listeners, about strange, unusual things happening in history. I'm your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me, as ever, is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hello! Hello. So this week, we have a listener submission. (gasps) Is it
1: from your mum and dad?
0: No, it's not from any sort of relative of mine.
1: Great Scott! I
0: know, right?
1: (laughs) We're getting popular.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is quite an interesting story, and it's one that I'd heard a little bit about, uh, but didn't really know the details of. And to be honest, I'm not sure I still know the details of it, because not only is it a bit mad... It's also really hard to source. Should we say who suggested this to us as well? Oh, yes, we should. Uh, Our listener, Sam. Thank you very much, Sam, for this suggestion. Thanks, Sam. Uh, This is the story of Mad Jack Churchill. Okay, good name. Also known as Fighting Jack Churchill.
1: Uh, Okay, sure. Any others?
0: Uh, no, that's it. Okay. But I think that's enough. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if your nickname is Mad Jack, you've got to kind of be like, yeah, you don't really need that many more names.
1: Mad Jack is pretty good, and Fighting Jack is good too. Yeah. But one feels like there should be three to finish off the tricolon.
0: <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. Well... Two is enough because, quite frankly, the story of this guy's life is pretty mad as it is. He doesn't need a third name. Cool. All right. So he was famous uh, for his time in the military and particularly his action during World War Two. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take you back to his birth in a little bit. But I'm just going to start off by saying he is a man who is credited as saying that an officer is not properly dressed unless he has his sword.
1: Um, He knows it's World War II, right? Well,
0: possibly. I think okay. he does. I th- I th- I'm pretty sure he's got like a good grip on, you know, chronology. <laughs> okay, but sure. But he just seemed to really be taken with a number of things. He- he's a man of varied interests and great eccentricity. You kind of imagine that if he had been born a century or so earlier Mm. and you know to the sort of family where he could get away with it he would be uh, a tunneling lord type person okay
1: so effectively we're talking about one of those eccentrics who decides he's gonna have a thing Mm. and in mad jack churchill's case it's gonna be his sword
0: well no that's not his only thing he has a number of things okay so we'll get into that um so we'll start off. He was born in 1906 in British Ceylon in Sri Lanka. Nice. His family then shortly moved to Surrey in England. <laughs> okay, sure. And he had a a younger brother was born. Mm-hmm. And then the family moved to Hong Kong in <laughs> okay. 1910.
1: Okay, so they're fully embracing the British Empire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Uh, it seemed to mostly be for work yeah. uh, and for education purposes. Um, In 1911, his third and youngest brother was born. And in 1917, they moved back to England. Okay. But Jack didn't stay with them. He then left for the Isle of Man so that he could be educated at King William's College. Okay. So... By the time he's 11, he's lived in about five places.
1: That's wild. Yeah. Is his dad in the army or something like that?
0: Uh, No, it seemed they were part of an engineering corps. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. So I think uh, there was some administration work as well. So, Mm. you know, lots of British administrators needed in those parts of the empire and the outer colonies and all that sort of thing. Yes. Of course. Yes, absolutely. Well... He graduated from the Royal Military College in Sandhurst in 1926. Mm -hmm. And he went on to join the 2nd Battalion Manchester Regiment. And he was stationed in Burma, which is uh, modern day Myanmar, which on the day that we're recording this has just had a military coup. Mm. (laughs) So it's somewhat you know relevant if i don't know maybe not appropriate uh we're talking (laughs) about this right now but he didn't see sort of like active service there it was more just sort of like
1: peacekeeping yeah
0: yeah yeah he did however during this time uh undertake a signals course so basically in communications and intelligence
1: okay he wanted to be a spy
0: No, no 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 he just wanted to help with communications okay cool um the problem was though this course was taking place in India.
1: Right so he had to learn how to do the signaling in order to do the course. <laughs> it was Not... very far, it was very long distance so <laughs> everyone just had their um Oh what's it called? Semaphore. Semaphore
0: flags. Everyone
1: just had like a line of semaphore flags. You learned as you went <laughs> along. That's
0: actually such a fun idea. <laughs> it great? Yeah. Right.
1: Correspondence course in semaphore. Find a rooftop.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you just have a sort of chain of people teaching each other. Yeah. That's actually quite cool. Well, no, that's not what happened oh. here. Uh, Mad Jack decided to take a different approach to this. He wanted to go on this course, so he decided to get on a motorbike and drive 1,500 miles to get to the course. Oh my God. Yeah. This was a journey that was largely off road because there simply weren't roads on his path. Yeah. There, uh, there were also frequent railway bridges.
1: Oh, God. And these are
0: railway bridges with open sleepers. Yeah. So what that means for people who don't know is basically you don't have a floor to the bridge. You just have sleepers, a drop below, and then (laughs) rails either side. Great. So apparently what he would do is uh, get the bike, put it up on the rail, and then sort of jump from sleeper to sleeper while while pushing the bike along.
1: Okay, he's already won his nickname.
0: I mean, right, yeah. He also, uh, on this journey, or possibly on the journey back, mm-hmm. uh, lost a fight with a water buffalo <laughs> when he crashed into it and it chased him for some distance.
1: <laughs> oh my God. So um, one of my granny's friends yeah. from Kenya um died by being killed by a water buffalo. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so he seems to have been, like, a reasonably harmless person. He yeah. was going for a walk on the Ngong Hills. Yeah. Um, Which I always pronounce wrong because I can't get the back of the throat thing. That's fair enough. You're um, too English for that. I know. Don't you know? And he got between a water buffalo and its calf. Oh, no. And was trampled to death.
0: Oh, that's awful.
1: Yeah, so the idea that you can win a fight with a water buffalo i don't think he won
0: but he survived surviving is pretty good (laughs) yeah i think i think that is as much a win as anything yeah especially if you've just like crashed into it with your motorbike and it's alive and it's pissed yeah yeah (laughs) um so his interest wasn't just in communications uh he was also stationed with the cameron highlanders Do you know? I think I've heard of the
1: Cameron Highlanders. I
0: think they are quite famous. Yeah. But he took a particular interest in one thing which we associate with units such as the Cameron Highlanders. Go on. Bagpipes. Oh my God. Okay. He learned to play the bagpipes under the pipe major of the Cameron Highlanders, which is such a great title anyway.
1: That is good. The
0: pipe major. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He also... uh, Now, we get to a point here where... I have to kind of explain that the life of Mad Jack is not easy to properly source. Okay. Because there are a lot of things that people say about him, some of which just conflict with each other. Right. We don't have many great sources for a lot of the stuff. And sometimes it seems like they're just stories about him, a kind of propaganda to be like oh look how look how fantastic british soldiers are look at this madman with his amazing eccentricities and ingenuity
1: yeah he so far he does sound like that kind of um britishman abroad with all his eccentricities like um the kind of guy that you'd try and peddle to the americans as an a-lister
0: yeah it's exactly that sort of thing so it's hard this is probably the episode that I think I'm least certain of in okay. many bits of it. Like obviously we say all the time we're not historians. I'm certainly not, but I generally I feel pretty confident that we do our due diligence. Uh, there are some of these stories I just have to say now I'm not sure. Okay, that's fine. I'll try and point out like what the discrepancies are, but anyway, anyway, mm. the point I bring this up is because it was also this time I don't know if he started learning archery at this point, but he certainly practiced a lot of it. Okay. And he left the army in 1936, so 10 years after he enlisted. Mm-hmm. Basically, seems like he was a bit just kind of done with it because he wanted, you know, proper boyhood action fighting, and it just wasn't happening there.
1: yeah. So, He's not having a boy's own adventure.
0: No, no. But he did have a pretty varied career outside the army. Okay. He did some acting. Okay. Um, This seems to be largely because he was now a really proficient archer and bagpipe player. Okay. but
1: When, when you say acting, do you mean like stage
0: acting or film acting? Film acting. He is known to have appeared in at least two films. But this is where it gets confusing. So... Some of the sources I read say that in the film, The Thief of Baghdad, he plays the bagpipes in it.
1: It's a silent movie, though, isn't it?
0: Well, it is not only a silent movie. It also came out in 1924, which is two years before he joined the army and was supposed to have learned bagpipes there. Yeah. So... I like some. I haven't actually seen the film, so I can't corroborate this. Some I've only other, seen bits of it. I yeah. don't remember a bagpiper. Some other places say that it, like he just did archery for it, so okay. it could very well be that he sort of did archery as a young man, and that was his sort of main passion. And then bagpipes happened, and he was like, "Oh, yeah, oh hello, what's that wonderful squealing sound?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's some suggestion he might have also done a little bit of modelling.
1: Cool. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So we're assuming he's a handsome man then?
0: Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, there are pictures of him and he's certainly striking. Okay. I'll say that. He's not... You wouldn't sort of think of him as a typical male model now. Okay. But certainly for the era, he cuts a fine sort of British gentleman look
1: nice all With right a
0: fine mustache
1: oh good yes. that is what we want i think the mustache makes up for so much
0: oh yeah absolutely. like
1: anyone could be a british gentleman in a film because mm-hmm. you just have to be able to grow that mustache mm-hmm. and you're in
0: yeah uh he also became a newspaper editor in nairobi
1: sure why not yep. yeah okay i mean
0: that he's makes... done so much traveling that you know
1: <laughs> nairobi <laughs>
0: yes nairobi <laughs> you you look
1: fine
0: <laughs> right you look sure. a little bit distracted or um what's the word i'm looking for distressed
1: uh i'm not really distressed i'm just like okay fine yeah <laughs>
0: right i mean this is the thing like there are lots of these things that just kind of come out of nowhere and don't seem very well sourced like the whole, like being a male model yeah uh, there was at least one place i found that suggested that this was just a myth because you know kind of propaganda again sort yeah. of promoting the english gentleman during the time of world war Two.
1: but why no models
0: <laughs> a reference to zoolander there I <laughs> <Yeah>. believe. <laughs> oh that was a good film i don't i don't like i i haven't watched it for a long while it doesn't really
1: stand up to scrutiny. does it not
0: oh that's a shame
1: well bits of it like largely it does but there's a few moments where you're like
0: oh yeah a little bit not all right yeah a little bit not yeah fair enough fair enough well uh, a couple of other things that jack did in between you know leaving the army in 1936 and there being a pretty pretty significant war occurring a few years later uh he got second place in a bagpiping competition Oh, Which, good for him. Well done. I mean, he's only been playing, like, for a little while. And mm,
1: and he is English.
0: And he also represented Britain in the 1939 uh, Olympics in Norway. In archery, not in bagpiping. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I couldn't find anything to see if he actually, like, won anything. Uh, he was known to be a good archer, but I I, I just couldn't find anything in particular.
1: Okay. I'm just... I'm just a bit thrown by dates now. When were the Berlin Olympics?
0: Uh, I think that was 1939 as well. Actually, you know what? Give me, give me a sec. <laughs> so, for our listeners' benefit, we just had a little break there because. Amelia's absolutely right. And I don't know why I didn't catch this when I was researching this. But yeah, there were no Olympics (laughs) in 1939. It was World War II. It was the... Yes, it was indeed World War II. But I don't know why it was reported as such. What it actually was, was he represented Britain at the World Archery Championships in (laughs) Norway. Okay, So he was competing at that level. Right, just not at the no, Olympics. Not at the Olympics, yeah. because there were no Olympics in 1939. And this is what I mean. This is so mad. Like, yeah. I've, I've got the bloody article in front of me that says he competed at the 1939 Norwegian Olympics. Which, which weren't... A th- no. Is this Wikipedia? It's not Wikipedia. What is this? No, this is... um. Uh, you know, I'm not actually going to say the no, name No, that would it. name
1: and shame. I apologise. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say the name, but...
1: Oh, the internet's a mad place, isn't yes, it? You it can is. just make up Olympics that never happened. Yeah,
0: this is why I had trouble with this. Yeah, uh, that's fair anyway, enough. anyway.
1: Anyway, so he's basically doing everyone's job and not letting anyone win anything. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Essentially. Cool. But then. War were declared. <laughs> uh, obviously, that was a Futurama reference Yes, there. it was. <laughs> You're going to call out my Zealand references. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yes, so World War II starts and he rejoins the army, obviously. Yeah. Now it's a chance to, you know... Actually do some fighting. Actually do some fighting. And this is where, again, the stories become a bit blurred because some of the sources for these stories are from himself Mm -hmm. there are recorded things from diaries and interviews with people who knew him and also just from newspaper stories okay which may well be propaganda
1: yeah that makes sense i actually at some point i'm going to do a piece about um misunderstandings again Mm mm-hmm based on the fact that there is a particular piece of history that I thought was really interesting and fascinating. Yeah. And then it turns out that the whole thing was made up in a newspaper. <laughs> but it keeps getting reported all over the internet as though it was true.
0: Ooh, I want to know what it is. I'm not telling you. No, I know you're not. I see it on your face. you got that sort of like, haha, I'm not telling smile. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, we can't trust newspapers. No, no. Because... So uh, it's often reported that he went into battle with his longbow and had, like, he killed Nazis using it. Yeah. He himself, at a point, says that very early on in his service, there was an accident where the bag containing his bows was run over by a lorry. Okay. But... There are also accounts in diaries of other people that he would go on parade or sort of like when called to attention, he would have a bow and a quiver of arrows and a Scottish broadsword at his side. Okay. So it's hard to tell. There are some great stories. Uh, One of the most famous ones is that he and some soldiers under his command... uh, ambushed a German patrol near uh, Lepinette in France Uh, either he just gave the command to attack by holding his broadsword up high nice or he during the ambush he's also reported to have killed a Nazi sergeant by shooting him with his bow and arrow this claim is disputed because you know he himself said he didn't have a bow (laughs) (laughs) but it does seem that either once he had shot this arrow or possibly just not yeah he did pull out two machine guns and just open fire
1: yeah okay so the thing is that the bows and arrows are cool and all yeah but one feels that there's not much point
0: in using them when you have two machine guns well no there actually is a point um at the start of an ambush because it's silent or almost True. silent All right, and yeah. it can be incredibly accurate if you know someone if you're good at archery okay so there is definitely an argument for why you might use a longbow at the beginning and then drop it and pull out two machine guns. Sure, sure. Okay, but so
1: he's not just gratuitously hawkeye then? No. Okay.
0: No, he does seem to have an actual purpose for his longbow. The sword less so. The, the sword's just cool. The sword does seem to mostly be ceremonial. There is actually a picture of him. Uh, I, I think it's while he's doing a tr- sort of training exercise mm-hmm. where he's disembarking from a boat and you can see the sword in his hand. Nice. Nice. Uh Which is pretty damn cool. Leaving France, he joined the newly formed commandos squad. Okay. Uh, basically, because, you know, they use a lot of knives, they get up close, mm-hmm. and he's all about that edged weaponry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, and he was part of a mission... Uh, into norway known as operation archery of all things really Yeah.
1: oh my god <laughs> and
0: it was completely unrelated to him or anything he did with. yeah
1: because none of the <laughs> operations as well were named after the thing they no, actually were
0: no exactly um but it was basically to raid a german garrison in norway and take back some places that the nazis had taken over mm-hmm. so landing craft arrive Mm-hmm and he was on one of the first... In fact, I think it was the first landing craft. Okay. He leaps out the boat... Yep. ...and begins playing March of the Cameron Men on his bagpipes before throwing a grenade and charging. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He received a couple of different medals and awards for this. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's pretty badass. Like th- this is This is the thing, the bagpipes are like a military Mm. instrument that was their inception was meant to like terrify the enemy and drive your own soldiers into battle frenzy sort of thing
1: yeah Yeah. they're um a shock and awe type of instrument which is why they are kind of horrific to listen to and kind of great yeah
0: yeah so he's using them for you know exactly the right purpose absolutely (laughs) yeah so continuing on he moves on from norway to italy okay and here we kind of we lose a little bit of track of him for some time like we don't really know what happens to him in 1942 for example in 1943 he turns up in Italy cool um with his Scottish broadsword and now it does seem he's got a bow back okay uh <laughs> because there were there's a there are remarks made by people such as like there's nothing more comforting than going on parade and seeing jack churchill with his sword and bow and arrows
1: i guess the thing about the bow
0: Hmm.
1: is that it wouldn't be that hard to get one shipped to you
0: no if you'd broken one of them so
1: i I guess i don't really see him getting a replacement being impossible.
0: No, I think it's that that first story which seems to be the most famous.
1: It's probably not. It's probably okay.
0: not true because uh, it's his own words that he says his bows were all smashed apart by a lorry. Yeah. So, uh, Which yeah. Which is so
1: careless. I know. Right. Honestly, Jack.
0: <laughs> well, he is a bit mad.
1: <laughs> I mean, but if you're able to do things like travel from Myanmar to India with a motorbike and back, mm. how come, like, first opportunity, you're just dumping your bows <laughs> wherever you can? Jesus. Uh,
0: Yeah, fair enough. I have no response to this. (laughs) So during his time in Italy, he led uh, a number of missions with commando platoons, Mm -hmm. uh, including uh, a mission where he was ordered to capture a German observation post. Okay. And he, with the help of a corporal, he infiltrated the town and managed to capture it and took 42 prisoners, including a mortar squad, and then led the prisoners back down the pass mm-hmm. uh the wounded were being carried on carts which he got the prisoners to push <laughs> okay <laughs> which he seemed to have likened the image to something from the napoleonic wars it really does sound like something out of Sharp. yeah now then there is another story and this is another one that i cannot verify but it's great so i'm going to tell it anyway okay he had apparently lost his sword during the fighting okay. uh, at this at this observation post in this mm-hmm. town. And when he, you know, had got these prisoners back and everything like that, he was like, right, I'm walking back to the town cuz I'm going to get my sword. Yep. And on his way there, he encountered an American patrol. And they were wandering around a little bit disoriented. They were basically lost. Okay. And he tried to tell them, you know, you're going in the wrong direction because they were walking towards the enemy. Right. And the NCO, uh, non-commissioned officer mm-hmm. in charge, basically said, no, nah, we're not turning around. Like, we're going this way. Oh, no. Okay. And Churchill said that, you know, he was going to go on his own way and sucks for them because he wasn't coming back for a bloody third time. <laughs> I haven't really found any good sources for this, but... It's a good story, though. It's a good story regardless, yeah. So we move on again, and he goes to Yugoslavia. Okay. (laughs) Cool, cool. And he was ordered to basically raid a a German-held island, which is, I think it's... Ooh, Brach... Brach hard to tell i'm not okay. good on these sorts of pronunciations but anyway um this did not go very well the germans were very well dug in they had good gun gun emplacements mm-hmm. and basically when they attack when the attack was launched most of his unit died oh uh he and i think it's six others managed to sort of get to the position where they were being mortared from Mm -hmm. and then they were hit with grenades oh and jack churchill was the only one who wasn't either dead or wounded okay and i said he then got out his bagpipes and started playing will Ye No come back again oh no (laughs)
1: Oh, that's when you know you've scored a goal over Jack Churchill.
0: (laughs) The Germans threw grenades at him. Well, you would. Yep. are like, stop that bloody bagpipe noise. But he was actually all right. He was just knocked unconscious.
1: Is this man like some kind of
0: trickster god? Is that
1: what's going on here? He could very
0: well be. I hadn't thought of that. But you know, he does have a lot of these characteristics, doesn't he? Yeah,
1: like... He seems to be bouncing around the map a lot. Mm. He's invu- He's like invulnerable to... He does seem to be. Um, everything, apparently.
0: Yeah. There, there are some stories about him, you know, being shot and having a pithy remark in response. But I'm not going to include them here because it really smacks of just like, you know, shit that people say Winston Churchill said and that he just didn't. Yeah. Um, anyway... He was captured at this point, okay, and he and the surviving members of his unit were flown to Germany and to the uh, Sachsenhausen concentration camp.
1: Oh, jeez, okay, where they kept Jack Churchill in one of those big glass boxes <laughs> so that he couldn't possibly escape.
0: Well, no, because here's where his name came into play. Okay. It seems it doesn't seem like he instigated this, but somehow the German soldiers who were guarding the camp got it into their head that he was either the nephew or the younger brother of Winston Churchill.
1: I mean, fair. Yeah, he's a he's an officer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: His last name's Churchill. Yeah, it's not a massively common name. Like...
0: No, and uh, Winston Churchill did have a relative uh, called John, and obviously Jack is short for John.
1: Yes, is... it's, it's not short for John, but yes. <laughs> well,
0: no, but you know, yeah. it, it's used it's, in place. other than. Yes, yeah. yeah. So he was taken out of the sort of general population mm-hmm. and kept with the officers. And while he wasn't like, you know, treated well, he was, he had more liberty than the than the others did
1: it is mad how long chivalry kind of hung yeah. around for isn't it yeah it's it like is. even even when you've got nazis and mm. concentration camps they're still like oh but we've got to be nice to these people because they were better born than other people
0: and that would be their undoing because churchill along with some other royal air force officers had been captured hmm Dug a tunnel and escaped. <laughs> yes, in fact, I think there is a note here that the that three of the Royal Air Force officers were survivors of the Great Escape.
1: Of course, they were. Yeah, didn't those guys just keep getting captured? Was yeah. that their whole deal? And, and they like kept tunnelling, kept out. escaping. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay.
0: Unfortunately, they were recaptured because oh. they attempted to walk to the Baltic coast and. It was never going to be an easy mission yeah. uh, to escape that way. And yeah, they were captured mm-hmm. and they were transferred to uh, Tyrol. Okay. Now, this has an interesting story behind it because this is in... At this point, it's April 1945.
1: Okay, so we're getting close to we're the getting
0: end. Very close to the end, to the point where... Uh, the German army unit which was in charge of this prison mm-hmm. basically just kind of went screw you to the SS. Okay, because these prisoners were like, we think we're going to be executed, and you know, everything's coming to an end, and yeah. we don't. We want to. We want to go home again, and so these German soldiers. Uh, basically went to the ss and like we're not doing your dirty work and freed 140 prisoners
1: that's amazing yeah well so they basically like sod it it's ending yeah like we can't be asked. we're yeah. not going to execute people when it's pointless it
0: seems to be yeah, yeah. that makes sense And as a result, Jack Churchill walked 150 kilometres to Verona in Italy, where he then met up with an American armoured unit and got taken home.
1: Where is Tyrol again?
0: It's in the Alps.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense then.
0: Yeah. So it's a 150 kilometre walk.
1: Yeah, And then he
0: gets picked up. And you'd think that'd be where the story ends. Well, World War II is basically over well yes but you know it's not over all over the world oh that's true we've still got japan yes the pacific war was still on hooray and churchill was sent to burma again Yay! (laughs) (laughs) and this is actually where some of the largest land battles against the japanese were being fought Mm. now fortunately for everyone else but unfortunately for jack churchill peace broke out
1: Okay. After
0: Hiroshima and Nagasaki had been bombed. Yeah. And Churchill was really unhappy about this. He, again, this is one of those things where, I don't know if he said it, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say it anyway. He said, if it wasn't for those damn yanks, we could have kept the war going another 10 years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I love the idea that he's basically Lord Flashheart from... Um,
0: yes, he, he is really.
1: From Blackadder. Um, like just having a whale of a time and really enjoying himself yeah. and not really caring that lots of people are dying. Mm. But also I love the fact that he got sent to Burma where I'm pretty sure that uh, British prisoners of war were treated like abominably badly. He probably would have got captured if the yeah. war had kept going on and he wouldn't have enjoyed it. <laughs>
0: No, but he clearly was still in the mood for war. Sure. Because after the Second World War ended, he went to British Palestine. Oh, great. Where war was, you know, happening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really going to go into great detail about that because I didn't do that as much research on it. That's fair enough. Um, but uh, fair to say he... Helps uh, evacuate over 700 Jewish doctors, students, and patients from a hospital. He managed to like ambush convoys. He was basically an incredibly successful soldier. Yeah, I- I'm not hugely comfortable commenting on Israeli-Palestinian politics. So yeah, let's
1: not let's not do that right uh, now. That's
0: why I'm not going to yeah, sort of okay. talk more about this war, uh, regardless of what side or anything like that he mm. was successful as a soldier
1: i guess the way that we can see him is like he is a really problematic figure nowadays because mm. he's so like tied up in the british empire yeah but in terms of being a soldier for the british empire he
0: was really successful yes exactly that's yeah that's that's exactly how i think we can look at him because it's like i'm 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 not a fan of war i don't think that's a uh, that's a controversial statement to say <laughs> but i like i i'm I, I I don't believe much. It's just, I don't know. Where, where are you trying going. to go with that? I I don't know where I was going with it. I was just like I don't always like glorifying figures of extreme violence in recent history.
1: I get what you mean. There is a difference. It, there feels like there's a difference between talking about Jack Churchill and talking about say Richard the Lionheart. Yeah. Because Richard the Lionheart is so long ago that hopefully nobody sort of feels like their recent ancestry was bound up in the crusades yeah whereas when it comes to world war ii probably people who are listening their grandparents or great-grandparents were part of that and um like modern politics was obviously very shaped by it as well Mm. which does make it uncomfortable sometimes i think
0: yeah so i just want to kind of like address that little bit i guess um but after his time serving in serving as a soldier Mm -hmm. he continued to indulge in his other hobbies Uh, he appeared as an archer in the film Ivanhoe. Cool. Uh, where he shot from the walls of Warwick Castle. Oh, really? Yep. That's damn cool. (laughs) He helped as a military tutor in Australia. Okay. And while he was there, he became passionately interested in the surfboard. Oh my God. (laughs) No. (laughs) He was the first man, when he came back to Britain, he became the first man to ride the River Severn's tidal bore. Okay. (laughs) He also designed his own surfboards. Of course he did. Yeah. Um, He worked a desk job after this, like he was getting a little bit older, Mm -hmm. you know, time to settle down just a little bit, but he was still eccentric. Yeah the most common story and i this was one i didn't believe at first but i have found multiple sources for this okay he used to terrify passengers on the train he used to get on his commute home okay because when it was slowing down to his stop he would open a window and lob his briefcase out of the train <laughs> okay And when he was later asked why, he explained that the train went past the back garden of his house. Oh,
1: great. So he
0: couldn't be bothered to carry his case from the station. So he just lobbed it into the garden. (laughs) That's pretty good. I like that one. It's pretty good. So, I, I didn't talk much about his family. He did get married in uh, 1941 and had two children. Okay. Uh, and he had a pretty long life. Like, he died uh, the 8th of March in 1996. Jeez. So, he was... We were alive. Yeah, I know, right? He was 89 at that point And he's still, right, really fondly remembered. In 2014, I... I the Nori The Royal Norwegian Explorers Club okay. published a book which featured him and named him as one of the finest explorers and adventurers of all time. Did he explore things? I don't know. <laughs> this is so bizarre. <laughs> this is what I mean. I don't know what to believe about this man's life. Okay. It's insane. Like, I think there's a- I think I've I've done a pretty good job. Like, I've said where there are bits where it's like, I'm not, I'm not sure about this, or I can't really find a good source. Yeah. But even the bits that I am sure of are mad. Yeah.
1: Like, are we sure this was just one person? Like, is it possible that there was more than one Jack Churchill?
0: I, I We're pretty sure this is just the one guy. He's okay. pretty distinctive. Okay. <laughs> All right, so... Unless you think he's a sort of, like, James Bond figure, where it's like the name gets passed on... <laughs>
1: Well, I was just thinking, like, maybe... Okay, so World War Two, we get a lot of that kind of British eccentricity. You get lots of um, yeah. stories about people being amazing and brave and full of daring do like Biggles and stuff like that. <laughs> um, You know Biggles.
0: I do know Biggles. You're, you're trying to get me to tell the story, aren't <laughs> no, you? No, I'm not.
1: Anyway, so... <laughs> well, I'm going to tell it anyway.
0: <laughs> so Biggles is... <laughs> <laughs> it's a hilarious word biggles is a series of sort of like young boy adventure books about a pilot called biggles
1: that's his last name that's his
0: last name It's john i think john biggles. i have no idea I, okay he always matter.
1: goes by biggles because it's world war ii and everyone has a surname yeah
0: yeah so i uh, for a while i worked in a second-hand antiquarian bookshop and there was a box of books that was kept in the office because they were basically had been bought as part of this bulk thing. And it's like, these are a bit dodgy. We can't really put them out. Okay. And one of them was a Biggles book because it was entitled Biggles Takes It Rough.
1: <laughs> the cover, though. It had the best cover. <laughs> the
0: cover, because by takes it rough, they actually mean like camping. Yes. <laughs> like, um, but the cover has a gentleman climbing some rocks, and there's a gentleman climbing some rocks behind him. But the unfortunate position of an arm does make it look like he has put his fist into the other man's ass. It's a wild book. It's a wild book. I
1: used to have a copy of a Biggles book that was called Biggles Defies the Swastika, <laughs> which was a particularly good one because he didn't actually have anything to do with the Germans in World War Two in that book at all.
0: Oh, wow, okay. So
1: there was no defying of the swastika, but
0: you know never mind but i think like yeah the 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 point you make is pretty sound that he is uh, like emblematic of these sorts of figures who are very popular in fiction and it's he's he's one of these people that it's kind of said that you couldn't make him as a fictional character really because he would be unbelievable. Yeah. Because he is. Like there's a number of stuff I don't believe about him. But (laughs) you know, the stuff that I'm sure of is still mad. And I think it's great. And thank you very much to Sam for letting me in on this story because it's mad.
1: (laughs) So thank you so much for listening. If you would like to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram twitter at that time when four.
0: you can email us if you have any suggestions of your own uh, our email address is ttwpod at gmail.com
1: and thank you so much to kevin mcleod for our theme song and macronis and any other music that barnaby's put into the um yeah. episode
0: episode episode yeah, episode? yeah. <laughs> you'll have a nap and then you know we'll be back with our audience next week for another episode yeah bye bye